0: Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Andy Fry. He is a sports writer and contributor for Forbes. He also was a contributor for Rolling Stone, Market Watch, Chicago Tribune, and ESPN.com. And it's really interesting how Andy got into writing for sports. He had a 20-year uh, career in business and in finance and eventually just started loving his job so much he just kept pursuing the writing opportunities that came to him and eventually made it all the way up to Forbes and it's been there for a little while now so he's a really really cool story and the the amount of people he's been able to interview he's worked at the World Series uh, just an all-around really great dude I'm very grateful I got to have him on the show so I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Andy Fry. Today, I have Andy Fry. I'm for the love of sports. He is a writer and sports contributor for Forbes. Probably have heard of Forbes at some place or time in your life. He's also a contributor or former contributor for the Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone Magazine, Market Watch, Chicago Tribune, and ESPN.com. Andy, thanks for hanging out with me today, man.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: The pleasure is all mine. You've introduced interview, my favorite thing I get to do is interview people, um and you've done that to a lot of way cooler people. I, I've talked to some pretty cool people and now you can add you to the list um but yeah. definitely excited to talk a little bit about that and so i know i definitely want to jump into your career and how you got in and everything but the first question i have for everybody is why do you love sports so much
2: you know it's
1: weird i so i have to kind of admit i i get asked all the time in like august september by friends who should i pick for my fantasy team who should, you know who should be my quarterback i think because i write about sports everybody assumes that I'm an expert on everything, and there are those sports fans and I'm not that um, I guess it kind of speaks to how I write and who I write for and, and the style that I write is I always have this fetish of I love to read sports articles and non sports publications so stuff like the the New York Times Saturday edition um, where they're not really particular this is going back in the in the late 80s you know when they weren't necessarily reporting on um, I wasn't necessarily reading the, 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 the recaps of last night's game. Philadelphia Inquirer, I grew up outside Philadelphia. I remember one day, you probably remember the, 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 the images of this when Charles Barkley got in a scuffle with Bill Laimbeer. And I remember on the front, it must have been the front of the sports page, you see the, the, Charles Barkley from behind, you'll know, see his, his number and his name on the back of the jersey, and his fist forward basically going straight into Bill Laimbeer's collapsing face. And I remember the article was more about, you know, the before we called them that, the bad boys of Detroit, and Barkley, and um, just sort of the rivalries and the tension that was coming up with certain games and certain teams in the NBA. Uh, and this is all amidst of Michael Jordan you know, starting to get sized up for mm-hmm. his uh, his kings robes and his crowns and his, you know, multiple. Uh, championship rings and you also have the Lakers who are impeccable and the and you know so there is this alternate story going on and i was always sort of fascinated by those, those alternate currents within sports uh, and i don't know i don't know why it is that non sports uh, publications you think about like dave Zirin and uh, i guess what's he write for the the nation um, there are people who just i think have an interesting perspective that don't write for sports illustrated and espn and, and those are great publications and i've sort of always latched onto that uh, and it really kind of speaks to my roundabout way of getting into sports writing and interviewing that I I didn't go to journalism school, or at least I didn't finish college with a journalism degree. I went to the business world for about 20 years, kind of danced around as long as I could. Um, and, you know, it always kind of poked at me of this hobby, this need to write, this need to sort of just kind of not necessarily go on rants and, and speak my point of view, but just I've always been fascinated with sports and the little things about sports. I could, I could give you a list all day, but think about the fact that uh, if you are a Catholic school football player in America, historically, you want to go to Notre Dame, but you don't see people saying, I'm going to go to USC and play football because I'm a Methodist. Like mm-hmm. there's these strange currents and anecdotes and um, parochial natures and sports that pop up that I'm just sort of fascinated with. And I've always sort of had fetishes that, that have kind of piqued my interest in certain, certain spaces. and And that's kind of, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a haphazard way to approach sports Mm -hmm. but that's i guess my wife in sports has been haphazard yeah i mean there's nothing wrong but
0: i think it's your question man you can answer however you want um i think you know it's it's important for people to i mean sports does so much in so many different ways i mean right now obviously with the pandemic like what's the thing that people are talking about the most right outside of politics and the pandemic itself is people are just constantly talking about sports now maybe that's just the people i surround myself with and and the, the people that i pay attention to most but it's still one of the most talked about things on the internet and across the world right now is when's it coming back how's it going to come back what's it going to look like oh the fantasy aspect you know, there's so much about that and i think there's a lot of different avenues and a lot of different gateways as you've you know kind of pointed out a a um a unique one and kind of how you look at it and the things that you look about it. And that's fine with me, man. We're, we're all on the same team here, right? Like we're all watching the same game. You're just watching it from a different perspective, which I actually think is pretty damn cool in the way you've been able to do that. And then with your, with your career itself, as, as you said, you know, you kind of danced around the business world for a little bit, it sounds like, and then you're able to finally dive deep. Um, I know, you know, reading, you know, the information that you sent over to me. So I do appreciate that. You just kind of started blogging for fun in 2009 you know, yeah. here you are 11 years later interviewing people like, you know, Venus and Serena Williams, if I'm not mistaken, Greg Norman. I mean, not messing around at this point. So how, yeah. how did you, you know, first off, why did you start blogging? And then how did you take it from blogging to getting a job at ESPN?
1: Well, it's, um, in about 2009, I think I was, I was working for an insurance company. I was I was in sales in the financial world for a long time in different, different spots. I sold, uh, insurance, sold currencies, sold mutual funds and retirement plans and all that fun hey, stuff. me too. And I think I just got to a point where I needed something to keep me sane. And uh, I remember, so one thing that about Facebook is, I don't know if you remember Facebook li- when you would write notes and a lot of the notes that people put up, like, here's 15 things about me and mm-hmm. tag my friends and somehow just me being me, it ended up being about sports and uh, found myself getting into like, not arguments, but kind of rants. And I remember one day... Um, I was going off on, uh, I'm a huge Premier League soccer fan, and and I'm one of those non-Man United fans that actually likes David Beckham. And I just watched his career, and I think this is probably the summer of 2009 that he's playing, he was with the Galaxy during the summer, he's he's basically playing part of his year with AC Milan. Mm -hmm. And they came to play at the Galaxy, and the Galaxy fans booed him, and I kind of wrote a little kind of speak my piece rant about how underappreciated he is and not even getting to celebrity and you know, all the reasons that a lot of diehard soccer fans hate him. They think he's too pretty. He's too, you know, he's just an okay, pretty good midfielder. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine from back home who is, uh, my friend Deirdre is a huge Flyers fan. She's a huge sports fan, but I, I texted her right now and said, you know, what Jersey number? Cause I forget, let's say what number did David, uh, did uh, Peter Zezel wear? I happen to know he wore number 25, but she'll come back to me in like two like 10 seconds and say 25 so uh she said you know you should start a blog you know it's like okay i think i know what a blog is you know it's one of those things where you Mm -hmm. go on the web and you just sort of you know type out your thoughts and try to make it presentable and eventually i did that and uh you know i kind of first started my my blog on blogger.com and i basically begged eight of my friends at home to read it and kind of give me their opinion and uh found it is kind of like you know some people do yoga some people uh do meditation that was sort of my version of both to kind of mm-hmm. keep me sane while uh i was working in the business world and you know I, one thing that i will say and i, I think this is underrated as far as it, it maybe only exists in the freelance uh contributor realm of, of sports is that uh, i took a lot of soft skills from my business career and my sales career into sports writing so um you know, I kind of set my expectations low. I thought, well, if I, if I write something, get it published in the next five years, this is in 2009, I'll, I'll be happy with that. But I think what, what you get from being in the business world is you learn how to be diplomatic. You learn how to, you know, either not take no for an answer, not get bent out of shape the first time. Maybe you pitch an article idea and you get turned down. And, you know, follow up and just sort of staking your claim is part of being in the business world. And I, I don't know if I thought about it at first, but I, I sort of put that mindset and into writing and eventually made some contacts and just you know actually like around town in Chicago here and you know in the sort of the ESPN footprint met some people and started you know I never said hey give me your editor's contact Mm -hmm. information but I'd kind of run ideas by people and eventually it led to the first article that I wrote for ESPN in July of 2011 about a sport called fistball which you may or may or may have never heard of the picture uh volleyball without a full net instead it's just got a a band like an orange band from one side to the next six feet above the ground and you when you hit the ball you have to hit it with an open hand so like you can't close a fist you got to have your hand open in some fashion so apparently this sport i don't even remember how i found out about it but i found out that there was a world cup and it was very popular in places like scandinavia germany brazil south africa and all of a sudden there was this ragtag group of um maybe like eight or 10 guys in Wisconsin and another seven or eight guys in Philadelphia who came together to be the U S uh, United States fistball world cup team. And they were going to play in the world cup in Austria, Germany. Um, and so they were basing their operations up, up, I live in Chicago. So I, about an hour and a half away, they're playing in Jackson, Wisconsin was like their home club. And I just contacted them and, you know, I talked to some people, I talked to like the, uh, the U S fistball, you know, basically the, the league chairman, who's a guy mm-hmm. who, uh, he works for the park somewhere up in Wisconsin. He was like super excited to have me up and I spent a day up there and shot some video of this weird sport and, you know, kind of thought I would get blown off by the editor that I connected with. But uh that day in July, I was actually at the Cubs Phillies game here. And I just checked my phone, my Blackberry, you know, piece of crap phone I could barely check the internet with. So like, mm-hmm. I think I got published. I was with my friend Matt Lindner at the time who had done some stuff for MLB and ESPN. I was like, I think I got published. So, uh, you know and it was like a day later I didn't even notice it like they didn't send me an email, but uh yeah, I just kind of like thought that it was a one shot deal and thought I would never uh write for them again, but just kind of kept my mind open and looked for opportunities and uh lo and behold, when uh, Scotty Powers here, I guess he writes primarily about hockey now But the time he was doing the the prep school blog for ESPN Chicago on on football, and I had heard roundabout right that he needed he wanted somebody to cover. Southside Catholic League football and I was like I'll do it so uh, you know I had a had a game originally like a Friday night game once a week and then it was like two games on the weekend Friday night Saturday basically the writing game recaps of my blackberry and sending them in as fast as I could but you know it's it's something special when your name is right below the ESPN logo whether you're writing about I don't know log tossing or interviewing someone famous it's it's kind of special and I just kind of kept that going and uh, you know, was, was was a football writer covering prep football for the fall of 2011. And then I, get, I can go into details about how I did the other things, but kind of just played leapfrog and hop from opportunity to opportunity. Uh, just, you know, looking for stuff outside the big four sports at ESPN. They have staffers that mm-hmm. cover that. They weren't going to take a baseball story for me at the time. But, you know, covered uh, athletic pursuits, like skydiving and roller derby. And, you know, some other things that just sort of eventually led
0: to sort of the big time with um, you know major sports and major sports mm-hmm. stars. And I think it's such a cool way of going about it. I mean, you know, so especially in that that first article with fistball, do you do you go to ESPN and say, "Hey, I have this idea. Do you let me do it or or do you write that and send it to them and be like, "Hey, I I did this. Like if you guys are interested, you can publish it." Like how does that process and how does that relationship work? Well, the,
1: so that was uh, I don't know if you remember page 2. Page 2 back then was sort of Weird, quirky sports things, you know, the, the daily video of the kid mm-hmm. making the high school, you know, winning the high school state championship with a, a shot from the other end. They're looking for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, actually, they did a lot of, like, um, sports and music related stuff, which is sort of how I got to do, like, interviewing aging rock stars about their sports hankerings. But at the time, it was you pitch them an idea and nine times out of ten, it was no. Like, not even, like, no, thank you, keep us abreast. It was just, like, no, you know, period. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think I just hit on something that was quirky, but official enough because of the world cup somewhere. And you know, it's um, I think one thing I learned in the business world in sales was how to be succinct and get your point across. Uh, I call it the hundred word pitch. Like if they're not going to be interested in a hundred words, I could write the whole article and no one's going to care, but you got to kind of grab people uh, in an email, an editor as a freelancer in an email, just like you would a headline on a blog or a major website. So yeah, I guess probably hit the right note after getting no a couple of times and uh, had some video go with it, which wasn't such a bad thing. And, you know, again, like I said, I, I never thought that I would go much past that, but I just kind of kept at it and you know, kept my ears open and, and didn't get discouraged and just mm-hmm. uh, threw more ideas out there based on what I thought that they might be interested in.
0: Yeah. And you also said yes to the next opportunity that came about. I always think that that's very important. A lot of people like how many people that have a full time job in the finance space? I'm sure you weren't doing terrible. Um, Granted, this is 2009 well 2011. (laughs) Everything kind of started to be fine again. Um, You know, you have a full time job. You're probably making, you know, you're making a salary in some capacity. I'm assuming, you know, how many people would say, yes, let me sacrifice my Friday night and then part of my Saturday to cover college, you know, uh, you know, prep school, high school football, you know, here in Chicago, not too many people are saying yes to that opportunity. And they would have probably kept doing what you were doing. If they even decided to start. So I think that that is pretty important, too. And I mean, how did you like, was your family, were they all about that? It's like, yeah, you know, go for it. You know, co- go cover all that high school football. Like, how did that work yeah. out? Well, my wife
2: is very
1: supportive and, and, like me, very entrepreneurial. My kid, so my kid's 13 now. So about that time he was three. Mm-hmm. And I think it's in the blood. He, you know, he didn't even grow up in Philadelphia like I did. And he hates the Dallas Cowboys. And we'll, we'll tell you so. Good he man. hates the Packers too because he was born in Chicago. But, um, yeah, just kind of like, uh, you know, at the, at Friday night for me to go out. And, and you know, spent a couple hours out there was no big deal. you know you're kind of doing your your share mm-hmm. you know on, on, on some other occasion. Uh, so it wasn't like I, I never thought, well, oh, I don't really I really want to go out and drink with my buddies. like if, if I could write about sports and get paid fifty bucks for it or whatever it was, 75 bucks at the time. I mean, hell, yeah, I'm gonna definitely do it. Uh, and if, I, I would guess that it's probably the same to some degree is what I do now, you know, I, I, at the end of the game, I'm searching out the tight end who wasn't supposed to catch the ball at all, much less the pass that won the game. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to him and, you know, getting a quote, um, some of these high school kids, uh, in Illinois are, you know, they're, some of them are, don't know what to say and others are kind of media ready. And, you know, they say the same things that like LeBron's going to say, or Shaq, like, I don't know. I didn't think about it. I just keep my head in the game. But, you know, they say the same things, but, um, you know you plug those into your your article just cuz you're writing about high school football doesn't mean that you don't do the same things so uh, i kind of i kind of sharpened my skills there and i always try to keep it conversational one thing you learned from the business world and sales is like you asking a kind of if not a loaded question an open ended question you shut up and let the person talk and you're probably going to get some pretty good gems so when i got you know past the high school football gang and i was pitching things to espn page 2 again i, I I Decided that, um, you well, know, there's I got an opportunity to talk to Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins at the time he was founding his pro wrestling league, you know, and I'm like, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was it was a <laughs> 2000, uh, it was called Resistance Pro, you know, Billy had, you know, I don't know, gobs of money, and I think it was kind of that, uh, kind of a circling pattern it, 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 relative to what Smashing Pumpkins kind of before they came back together. Anyway, long story short, he's a huge wrestling fan. I think he tried to get involved in WWE and they're like, yeah, no, thanks. We, we got it covered. So he, you know, being, uh, being who he is, he started his own pro wrestling league with uh, a couple of investors and was heavily involved in, uh, you know, he's, he's the kind of sports fan that wanted to be interviewed by ESPN. So, uh, at the time I was blogging for Chicago now, and we got an email, I think from Jimmy Greenfield. He's like, don't ask me about this, but if you want, you know, like Billy Corgan, you probably saw on Fox sports that, he's doing this wrestling league, he, you know, his PR people contacted us here, email him if you want. And I just was like, well, I'm definitely putting ESPN in the headline of my email. And if they respond, great. If not, you know, again, that's that business thing. Uh, and I got to interview him and we, you know, he was kind of guarded the first, I think I interviewed him three times total. He was kind of guarded, but you know, you ask questions about music and um, I think he really, he, you know, he's a diehard bears fan and, and Cubs fan. We just talked about, like, why, you know, kind of like you're asking me, like, why did he take his time to you know, invent this thing? And it's just, it just all gets down to passion and interest in, and interest in the sport. And, uh, you know, that one kind of like with the first opportunity kind of leapfrogged me into interviewing other, not everybody I wanted to interview, but other, you know, pitching other rock stars talking about sports. And on my birthday in 2012, I'm a huge Oasis fan. So it's like, Okay, Noel Gallagher has his new band. He's coming to Chicago, coming to the US anyhow. I want, I want to see if I can interview Noel Gallagher and talk about Man City or whatever the heck he wants to talk about. And it just so happened that his first couple of music videos had like heavy sports references. There's a boxing one. There's one with a skateboarder who like steals a package and gets chased across town. And, um, you know, just kind of use my business prospecting skills from back when I was stalking people to you know buy investments from me. Spent about a day hunting, you know, hunting down who I needed to talk to and, you know, got the interview and it's, it's, it all comes down to, I think, passion, just deciding what you want to do. And, you know, it, it was, uh, it's been a fun experience along the way. So, yeah,
0: I, I think it's so cool, man. And I think, you know, the, the music aspect, if you're coming from, you know, as you said, there's certain, you know, who doesn't love sports, right? And yeah. if you can then go to these musicians and not ask them for a music interview but ask them like hey I'm, i work with espn and we're looking to interview rock stars and and you know musicians on their yep. love of sports that's probably so unique and different they don't get that opportunity very often yeah it's kind so, of a
1: stroke to their ego i mean it was yeah. that was actually the year in 2012 when man city won the, the league for the first time in 44 years so and that, you know if you live in britain in the uk you're seeing have you know, people like uh you know no Gallagher talking about um, Man City apparently John Cena is a huge Premier League soccer fan too I don't know what, what team he supports but he was kind of bouncing around at that time I never got to talk to him but um so I mean you know when you're talking to major rock stars uh even about sports and you're you know you're doing your best to keep a conversational and not piss them off and not have them hang up on you you kind of get uh if nothing else that when you get a chance to talk to a professional athlete like they value people being real and direct and i was never an investigative journalist anyway so i gotcha questions aren't my thing mm-hmm. but you know you talk to a person like a normal person and you kind of approach them with confidence and you're direct and you make eye contact you know they respect that and you know they'll be frank with you and tell you what they think um so then you know fast forward um i get an opportunity to, to interview a race car named chase Elliott. i don't know jack about uh, nascar a couple of years ago um you know he's like a chase elliott's great he's he's kind of a polite nice southern gentleman uh you get to talk to kyle bush and he might he might expand on who's who he doesn't like on the track and who's pissed him off the last race and you know he's he's kind of laid back in a different way but also intense and you know he won he won the nascar cup series last year so you know he's going to kind of tell you what he thinks about the sport and that doesn't make me Dale Earnhardt Jr. or anything, but it's at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm going to ask you a question talk all you want. and mm-hmm. Again, you get these gems. I, I reason, before I forget, the reason uh, I brought up Noel Gallagher is that I think, don't quote me on this, I think I'm the first person who's ever gotten him to talk about the NFL. We're talking about Man City. We're talking about how he stays up late at night. I kind of asked him if he likes American sports at all. And he's like, yeah, I don't get baseball, basketball. I don't understand that. Uh, but I effing love the NFL. And I, I got the sense that, you know, he stays up to like two, three, four in the morning when we're watching football here. And I think people in the UK like the NFL. They just like seeing people in these helmets crashing into each other and decking each other. And to them, that's unique. And, uh, you know, I was the first one, I think, who ever talked to Noel uh, Gallagher at the NFL. Now he gets asked about the NFL um, whenever he's been interviewed by Absolute Radio the trend, BBC man. or whoever. So. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. You
0: know, it is cool. And again, I just think your career is very, very interesting. I mean, to this point, you know, you're still at ESPN, you're talking to some really cool musicians, especially ones that you love, you know, close to your heart, talking about something that you love as well as sports. Um, Mm -hmm. And I can understand why they love football because I love it so much too. So I really can't blame anybody. Um, I know I, I have a, my cousin works for a company that's based out of the UK, and he, he says nobody works the day after the Super Bowl there because they're all up until three, four o'clock in the morning watching yeah. the game with us because they all love it so much. So no one really does too much the next day, which always makes me laugh. Um, was So I I can't tell, was this something that, not that you fell into, but the idea to kind of be super unique with ESPN, again, with these log rolling and fistball and, and, you know, let's talk to musicians. Like, was this on purpose or was this just kind of like, Hey, this is cool. I'm just going to keep doing it.
2: A little
1: bit both. I mean, when I was uh, in the, in the financial world, uh, and this is kind of a, a boring analogy, but um, you know, I knew a lot of people I was like 34 and I knew a lot of people starting businesses like chiropractors and dentists. And, you know, like I kind of looked at the opportunity, like they're, they they do not have, $10 dollar portfolios they can roll over to me, and I don't. I didn't work for a company that was specialized in that, but I'm like, well, they need you know, they need to set up stuff for their business, and I kind of specialize in that. So, I guess I always had this kind of opportunistic mindset, for lack of a better term, to see if you know, again, if I want to write about sports, you know, I'll write about I don't know, rooster races or whatever the heck ESPN at the time wanted, you know, had an opening for. I just kind of pitched a couple things and, um, you know, it kind of fell on my face a couple of times, but. You know, you kind of look for the market opportunity. And uh, now that I write for Forbes, you know, I'm a contributor. And it, it sort of runs like a blog in that I can do whatever I want. Uh, so it's not really the place to do game recaps, you know, whether it's the Super Bowl or just a game last night. So uh, I kind of just decided I wanted to you know, interview different athletes. And, you know, it's, it's, I've had some great opportunities to meet and interview people like Greg Norman and Anika Sorenstam and Johnny Bench. Um, got a story about how I tracked him down, but th- but then also like just people who who've won the New York Marathon last year or uh, talk to Steve Serio, who's a a wheelchair basketball player who you know he's not going to be playing in the Olympics now the Olympics and the Paralympics have been I guess postponed or cancelled. but his story, I think, is just as interesting as you know Greg Norman talking about playing with Michael Jordan well, I didn't write about this, but you know frustrating Michael Jordan and watching Michael Jordan hit his ball into the in the bushes pissed off as hell that he can't, you know, hang with Greg Dorman, who's one of the greatest golfers of all time. So, you know, you get these interesting little anecdotes. But uh, I don't know, it's, it's all interesting to me. It's I'll talk to anybody about almost any sport, provided it's, you know, you know, legitimate and serious.
0: You and me both, man. I'll talk to anybody in sports about anything in sports. I'm totally cool with that. That's why I love doing this. I'm just getting to talk to people like you right now. Right. Uh, so I think it is, it is a lot of fun. And so, I mean, you were at ESPN contributing for about six years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, as you said, it's really cool to see the ESPN logo and then your name right underneath it. What, um, what was the at, at what point so during this entire time you still had your full-time job as well? Or at what point did you so you did? So how difficult did it become, you know, doing essentially two jobs at once?
1: Well, it's it was so intermittent. I mean, when I was writing for ESPN for those six years, it was usually like two pieces a quarter, maybe three, if I was lucky. Okay. Um so if you're talking to rock stars about the sports anchorings, you're talking to them at sound check at seven at night before they're you know, mm-hmm. they jump on stage at nine PM in Detroit. Lab. Um I think of the whole time i one time stayed at, at work when i was working for a currency broker downtown uh, it was actually i think the night of our like we were going to go to a, a restaurant for a little holiday party i was like look i gotta make a call i'll meet you guys out there later and i, t- I talked to uh, Britt daniel who is the lead singer of spoon he had a side project at the time called the divine fits and uh, his story was, like, he was a, a, a Dallas Mavericks fan, like, when they were terrible, like, way long. And so we kind of joked, like, he's the ultimate Dallas Mavericks hipster. Mm-hmm. Like, he liked him before it was cool, um, you know, before they they upset uh, LeBron and, and Miami to win the championship. Uh, but most of the time, it was, you know, it's – I think I talked to Noel Gallagher on the weekend. The, the, the time kept getting moved, and I was at – I was actually at UIC Pavilions outside – I was there to cover a roller derby match. I had to step outside and the wind was horrible. It was really loud outside. And I, you know, recorded, if you listen to the, the quality of my recording with him, it wasn't great, but I mean, I could, I could hear it. It was just, the, it's what it is. You know, if you got to, you know, step into a phone booth and do an interview because you're out, um, that's the way it is. Uh, to give you another example, back around Thanksgiving, I got to interview uh, Tony Hawk, who is doing, awesome. you know, he's a huge entrepreneur. He owns some businesses. Yes. Of course, when you get in, offered an opportunity to interview someone like Tony Hawk, the answer is obviously yes. And um, I just got a dog in August and the dog sometimes will just decide when he wants to be walked. So literally at like 11.45, I have my scheduled interview with Tony Hawk and it's 11.34 and the dog wants to be walked. I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, what am I going to do? So, you know, I took Rody out, walked due west away from the, the train tracks as far as I could get, as soon as I could get out there and you know like walking my dog interviewed tony hawk with my uh, little recorder between my Mm -hmm. ear and the headphones i'm wearing right now and just did you know conversational interview with him you know broke down the interview later so uh yeah i mean it's just with espn it was kind of like um a lot of extreme sports stuff it was you know, not in terms of like deadlines in the workload, it wasn't a lot. It was kind of like whenever I had a good idea and they were interested, I would punch it up and then schedule the interview and uh, get it out there. And a lot of times it was, you know, just kind of at, at my own pace, you know, I'm working a job that's, you know, eight, eight to five or whatever in the office. So I'm not doing it then, but you know, you learn how to be flexible if you're entrepreneurial and you just sort of make it work. And mm-hmm. sometimes the interviews are at night or the weekends and, you know, if it's kind of like with the phone booth thing, if you got to step out at your lunch break and try to find a quiet place downtown to do a 15 minute phoner, you're going to figure out how to do it somehow. And that's, you mm-hmm. know, you just, you just kind of, uh,
0: improvise like you would, if you're a
1: you know, professional athlete, you know, in the game, I guess.
0: hundred percent, man. And yeah, I think again, you know, with some of the people that you're interviewing, you know, as you said, Tony I'm finding a way to figure out how to do that interview, you know, make the dog kind of be quiet, let the dog do its thing. It is a dog. Right. Um, <laughs> But you're gonna make sure you get that interview with Tony Hawkman, which I think is really cool. And as you've been, you know, name dropping this whole time, which I really appreciate. I just think it's, yeah, yeah. It, it is pretty awesome, man, what you've been able to do. And so you're at ESPN, as you said, not writing. I mean, writing consistently, another yeah, like, staffer, yeah, yeah, sparsely over, you know, the six years that you're there. Um, you then, you know, I saw you at, at tabloid for a second as well, which is. When I hear tabloid and I see tabloid, yeah. I think tabloid. Was it like one of those like National Enquirer type? Like... No, 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 no. Okay, I, good, good, good. When
1: I say tabloid, I'm actually, this is a graphic design referring to the size of the, uh, so the Chicago Tribune used to have this, uh, it was daily for a while, um, thing called Red Eye. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, kind of a lot of fun, snarky news, you know, a lot of entertainment. I don't watch TV, so I didn't, didn't really know care about the what they had to say about the bachelor or american Mm -hmm. idol they had a lot of that stuff but the sports was like kind of a comical point of view about you know the cubs and the bulls and you know just local sports so um i think my my friend jack silverstein who's like a football oral historian knows everything about the bears we're having a beer one time he's like you know you should probably write for red eye like they have some cubs people but you know he liked my Um, I think he just liked the way I write. He introduced me to to the editor there. And, you know, the same thing. I had to kind of pitch a couple ideas and uh, just, you know, uh, not too different from ESPN. Just kind of had some intermittent uh, narratives I would pick up. Of course, like the Cubs – or sorry, like the the Packers-Bears rivalry. not much of a rivalry anymore. But, like, things like that will come up. People want to write uh, articles about it. A lot of fans want to read different perspectives about it. I had mine. So, um cub socks of course was always a great series to write about because well at the time the, they were both terrible but you know the uh the rivalries there and now that we've both won world series fairly recently it's it's you know there's an interesting historical narrative there so yeah so uh red eye was just kind of a daily tabloid that had you know entertainment news and sports and i'd write you know intermittently for that and it was kind of more you know just kind of more fun writing it wasn't really super mm-hmm. deep didn't do any interviews with that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I guess for better or worse, I I, I built a track record as a bit of a baseball writer. Mm -hmm. So then, um, got to write to Rolling Stone is, I mean, uh, I had some, some things that sometimes, uh, writers will, we don't do it very often. I don't think, but we'll sort of trade contacts and say, you know, do you know anybody over this publication? I might want to write for them and traded some, uh, some intel with somebody who had done one article at Rolling Stone and uh, she, she had said, I think there's a new sports writer there. I don't know if he'll respond to you, but here's his name and his email. And uh, it just so happened that I think it was, in, it must've been August of 2016 when the bowl, when the, the Cubs were hot, that uh, I got in touch uh, with the sports editor, the new sports editor at Rolling Stone, who was a Cubs fan from Chicago. And the first idea or two that I pitched he wasn't interested in but um, we eventually kind of found a way to to work through some ideas because you know he wanted to cover baseball at the time Uh, Rolling Stone was covering more you know national sports so you know same thing just kind of pitch a couple ideas see what works kind of respond to what their interests and needs are not not push your agenda uh, really be open to to what's out there. And Mm -hmm. i got a great opportunity to, to write for Rolling Stone about baseball, primarily baseball, but baseball and football and some other things for, uh, you know, almost two years.
0: Mm -hmm. And so this is, you know, now moving from ESPN to Rolling Stone or spending a lot of your time there. This is Mm -hmm. still the second job, correct?
1: It's the second one that's pretty consistent. I mean, with okay. uh, with ESPN, you know, like I said, in- intermittently as a as a freelancer for for six years, uh, kind of made a decision that some of the things I was writing about there, like extreme sports, I I didn't I wasn't done with it, but I just mm-hmm. wanted to write more about baseball yeah. until this opportunity. So it was like a natural pivot. I mean, ESPN is is great to write for. I for some reason when I had kind of gradually told or maybe announced to my friends I, was, I had an article coming out for Rolling Stone. It was like whoa. Holy crap, that's huge! Well, it's like, well, ESPN's pretty huge too. Yeah, it's just a different bag. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of a a natural pivot. I mean, I I consider this whole thing my hobby on steroids. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, I
1: still actually do some contract writing. It's not like sports writing is my full time only thing that I do, but it's got more serious over the years and. Uh, yeah, just kind of made made a natural pivot from Mm -hmm. one major sports, one major journalism banner to the next one.
0: Mm -hmm. And and even as you said, in the beginning, you know, you're kind of the way you've always looked at sports writing is, is, yeah, it's cool for ESPN to write about sports. But when it gets into these, you know, Rolling Stone opportunities, Forbes as well, kind of these national well-known brands that are outside of sports, when they kind of dip their toes into those areas, they don't you know go find Joe Schmo they don't go hire me they go hire somebody that is very well respected knows what they're doing and how they're doing it so I think that that part's really important too and just the perspectives that come with something like that so I think that that part's very interesting and you know as you what you fell in love with about sports writing is now you know once we make it to Rolling Stone that's kind of where the story comes a little full circle I think which is uh which is pretty damn cool man
1: yeah so uh I so here's the thing I think people assume that I get these, you know, jet set trips to do sports things all over. What happened with the 2017 World Series was I actually had booked a, a conference. Um, I was going to a one-day digital media conference out in LA. I actually one of those people who likes LA a lot. And I had some friends I was going to drop in and visit, you know, and it's always sunny there. Yeah. So I think literally the, th- the Thursday of the first leg of the World Series, I was going to LA already um, by about august of 2017 you know the dodgers are 55 games above 500 and mm-hmm. they're probably going to go to the world series if if they don't screw it up majorly um i i'd made a friend at major league baseball who uh yeah he's just a good guy we just kind of hit it off he's a i think he's a knicks fan so i think poor guy but it make may want to make fun of the knicks he you know he rolls with it um and so i had got passed on to me just kind of like hey if you're interested Here's how you apply for media, media credentials for the World Series, but you got to have your editor fill it out. Um, so at that time, I was writing, basically reporting the editorial director of rollingstone.com. And I said, you know, I'm going to LA anyway. If you could be kind of so kind enough to fill out this form, if you want, I'll just do some, you know, some high level articles. I'm not going to cover the unless you want it, you know, the play by play of the whole thing. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, I actually like paid for my, I think they might've, it might've been expense my flight. I don't even remember at this point, but I was going out there anyway. Um, of course I'm going to f- try to finagle a media pass to the world series if I can go. And it was amazing. I mean, that was kind of the, my first taste of being in the same room with like legendary athletes. I walk into media day, the Monday, the day before the game of the world series, I'm huffing and puffing because my flight was late. It took, I, I mean, you've, I don't know if you've been to Dodger Stadium. It's beautiful. It's a pain to get to. Yeah. If you're taking a Lyft and you go all or an Uber, you go all the way to the parking lot. It's just it's it's awful. So I get there, I'm like covered in sweat, my phone battery's dying. I I walk into media day, which is like, oh wow, there's Justin Verlander sitting at a table right there, and I can go Mm -hmm. and just walk up and talk to him. As a sports fan,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you kind of have reality check. Like, wait, is this really happening? I'm standing next to Altuve. Oh, and there's you know they're everywhere, and I can just go up and ask some questions. Uh, I went up, I think I, I have a kind of a fetish for middle relievers. I don't know why I'm so fascinated with like relief pitchers and closers. Mm-hmm. It's cause I never pitched in my life.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but I talked to like Chris Davinsky and, and uh, Ken Giles, who was the close at the time and then waited my turn to talk to uh, kind of for the, the crowd to die down. And I'm standing next to Bob Nightingale, who's the national baseball reporter for USA Today, waiting my turn to talk to Justin Verlander. So I'm like, no, you go ahead first. And Bob was really nice. He's like, no, you can go. Like, you know, I have questions to ask him. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be a while, talk to him. And uh, I talked to mostly, I uh, talked to Verlander mostly about, you know, he had just been acquired after the All-Star game. Um, I don't remember if he was on waivers or what it was, but they picked yeah, him up late. He was,
0: he was waivers like August 31st, if I'm not yeah, mistaken, some like, crazy. Like,
1: surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we joked about, I asked him if he got Hayes, you know, because he's the new kid on the block at the Astros who had already, you know, basically booked their ticket to the World Series pretty mm-hmm. much before he got there. He was just the icing on the cake. He's the cherry on top, really. And, uh, you know, kept a conversational, joked around with him, but he gave me a couple good quotes about sort of their outlook and what it's like to jump into this, you know, well, the story at the time was this great team that, mm-hmm. you know, had everything going for them. And he they was- figured something out, man. I don't know how yeah, they did it, but they yeah, just he figured something out. I never thought to ask about that, uh, the sign stealing, but, but, but it, you know, it wasn't, the narrative was maybe the Astros are going to win a World Series this time. and know they've got a really great team. So, uh, yeah, it was you know, being there, uh, you know, and watching batting practice. And I'm, you know, 30 feet, away, I'm 30, I'm 50 feet away from Corey Seager. The only people we can get, like, within 10 feet of him are Ken Rosenthal and, like, the Nash Reporters and I'm looking at, you know, Corey Seager, who's 6'3", and he probably weighs what I weigh. You know, I'm at 5'7", and he's all muscle. And every time he swings the bat, you feel like he just ripped half of the ball into your face with the way he hits, like how hard he hits the ball. Mm-hmm. And you get, you know, a front row to, you know, this was, I, I'd seen sports, so I've sat in front rows of baseball games. It's not the same thing when you're on the field before, you know, the game or at batting practice, and you're you're seeing – you know Curtis Granderson who's 38 years old at the time, who's got, you know, muscles that I would die for, you know, if I worked at every day of my life, you know, right there. You just really feel the power and you know, the intensity of of, of the sport. It, it was really a great thing to see. And I, I since then I've I've gotten to experience it in other sports. I've gone to NASCAR races and you know been in in uh, right at Pit Row and I've you know, I got—I was lucky enough to take a, a, a short putting lesson from Annika uh You know, about yeah, like the first week of uh, March before this coronavirus thing changed the world. And she was super cool and really polite. And you know, she told me I was good at putting, which I'm not sure is true. But you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's been a really great ride. I've been able to do some things that, uh, you know, ride in the pace car at Daytona, like just things that you are on your bucket list and I've, I've gotten to do them, which is pretty
0: cool. So That is awesome, man. And I mean, clearly you, you, you know, you just haven't gotten to do them. Um, you've earned the right to do that. You know, like these people respect who you are and what you've been able to do and accomplish, you know, since 2009, when you kind of wrote that, uh, those first blogs and your friend, you know, you, you said her name before, but shout out to her again for just kind of saying like, Hey man, you should do this. This is kind of cool. And you know, looks where it, look where it's taken you. I, I think it's incredible. Yeah. I mean the world series, you even saying being a very big baseball fan wanting to write about baseball this is yeah. my favorite thing on planet earth. So that opportunity just sounds absolutely incredible. I mean, I was at the Mets the 2015 World Series. Um I was actually at the one game they won, which was kind of nice. So just that feeling and that energy. I've never I don't know what that feeling was. I've never had it before and I, you know, I probably won't have it again for another 15 years until they get to go to the World Series again, but um yeah. you know, it's just one of those things where it's there's something about sportsmen and uh brings people together. It does things and as you said, you kind of it's, it's your hobby on steroids and you've been lucky enough and well, i don't believe in luck you've, you've earned the opportunities to be able to do all of these incredible things so you know kudos to you for that one man that's incredible thanks yeah
1: you uh whatever business you're in you're in i think if you become a local um that's that's kind of a i used to deal with traders a, a local is the name of a term as a term for someone who's actually like in the pit mm-hmm. you know with guys who wave their hands around and you know buy and sell pork bellies or whatever that's a I think a Chicago Board of Trade term. Someone I talked about back when I was doing that what a local is, and literally you get to, you participate in everything that's going on every day. You you get maybe some trade secrets or just sort of, you know, you hear the stories and you know your way around. And I don't you know know my way around the way that, uh, you know, some of the national baseball reporters and uh, this, you know the biggest the biggest names do. But you, you kind of learn the ropes a little bit and you learn. what questions to ask and what not to and sort of how to be at the right place in the right time and Mm you know actually this is the first podcast i've ever done nobody's ever been interested in talking to me about sports on a podcast
0: so congratulations so
1: there's a first every day and uh thanks for you know having me on and let me babble about
0: sports dude you were awesome and i mean unless you have to go i still have a couple more questions so uh you know i appreciate you coming on i think i think you actually reached out to me on linkedin because of one of the podcasts that i put up um if i'm not mistaken with jessica david go back and listen to that one if anyone is interested she is incredible she actually just got a new position she's now out in california um Actually, I don't know if she went yet because of everything that's going on, but she got a new position, which is really cool. And everything they're doing over at 76 Capital was a lot of fun. I've pretty much interviewed all of them at this point. So uh, they're all good people. And uh, yeah. yeah, man, I mean, I just think, you know, so with your opportunity at, at Rolling Stone, um, you know, interviewing so many people now, you know, I'm going to use air quotes covering real sports. No offense to all the, uh, the roller derbies and uh, fist balls and, uh, you know, it's log started. rolling, um, you know, <laughs> but now you get the opportunity to talk about baseball and football, some of the things you grew up loving. And interviewing more, more and more athletes. What um, how did the opportunity with Forbes come about? I mean, Forbes is like a well-known brand, especially when it comes to media and um, you know, all this, especially in the business world. How does this type of opportunity again just kind of come about for you?
1: Well, believe it or not, it's again being a local and talking to people. So um, I kind of knew that when Rolling Stone got bought. Um, I don't remember his name, but Roger Penske's son is like a legit big time investor. And, um, you know, Jan Winter wanted to kind of retire and sell Rolling Stone. So uh, this young buck and his group came in legitimately and decided to kind of reorganize, rebrand Rolling Stone and really, you know, go straight into hardcore music. So, you know, unless I kind of knew that unless... LeBron dropped a single with Drake and I could get an an interview with either Drake or LeBron or both of them. They probably weren't going to be interested in my sports, story. It's just the way it was. So rather than getting ticked off about it, I just kind of like thought, well, I got to look for the next thing. And um, so there's a, there's a, uh, a Dodgers writer and blogger named Howard Cole. Um, I think we probably wrangled about like, you know, the Cubs versus the Dodgers. And of course, uh, you know, he, 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 uh, the Dodgers have had the better hand in the last two years. And, and I noticed he was writing for Forbes. And I just it kind of scratched my head about it. Cause like, how does someone write about, you know, maybe not the Dodgers and Dodgers sponsorships, but about, you know, who's playing first base and who's going to be, you know, the platoon players like write about that for Forbes. So I just messaged him one time. I'm like, Hey, you know, hope you don't mind. Let me ask you about your writing game. And he's, he's like, actually I can introduce you to uh, the editor and he can tell you whether or not they're looking for what, kind of things you write about. So, um, yeah, I got connected and just, you know, I think probably writing for ESPN and Rolling Stone and some of the, excuse me, interviews I had at the time helped. And they said, yeah, you know, this is how we work it. Um, we have a stay in your lane policy. You know, you can write about whatever you want with sports. Um, you know, be professional, respectful. Don't, you know, rant about politics if you're not a politics writer, uh, you know, kind of just do what you do best. So, uh, Yeah, I think it was May of two years ago I I signed on with them and um, the thing that was kind of uh, had my pants in the bunch at the time was LeVar Ball. So I think my first article was about that sports would be better in 2018 without LeVar Ball. Mm -hmm. But you know, people are definitely, uh, (laughs) they're open to you know i don't write a lot of rants there are people who do kind of like the Stephen a smith thing probably with less yelling <laughs> uh occasionally <laughs> I i'll do it but the I don't only have way enough, is
0: with less yelling right <laughs> yeah i don't have
1: enough energy in my tank you know enough gas in my tank to do that you know five to seven times a month so uh what was cool was you know i think linkedin is actually really underrated and i had connected with a lot of people who would find me and pitch me ideas for rolling stone like hey we got this idea about this event that would be really great for Williamstone. And I would say, yeah, thanks for contacting me, but yeah, they're not going to be interested in an article. I was able to go back to all those PR people, those publicists, to say, hey, I can kind of do, for the most part, whatever I want. Now, what are you working on? And, um, you know, it was – I went back to somebody who got me an interview with Tim Raines, the Hall of Fame baseball player who, Mm -hmm. you know, he was – he was doing something for osteobiflex when, and that was sort of led like their PR team. It's like, you don't have to ask him about like arthritis, but you just talked about his career. Cause he's, he's going to be inducted to the hall of fame. I went back to uh, that PR firm and they're like, yeah, we're not, we you know we're not doing any baseball people, but you want to talk to Chris Everett like about Wimbledon. And I said, yeah, I'll talk to Chris Everett mm-hmm. about Wimbledon. Sure. Um, and we got into the guts of her business. Like she runs a very high end tennis academy. Not that. My kids or you will go to, but somebody who's you know on the cusp of you know being mm-hmm. number three hundred in the world will go to for you know four months to to straighten their game out, so she talked about that both as like a tennis person and a business person and uh yeah, so a lot of the opportunities with Forbes in terms of like what my content was came from that uh, right about the same time I saw a commercial on Twitter, if you remember this awesome commercial uh, about two years ago when Kingsford Charcoal was sponsoring, they did a commercial where they have like Vin Scully and Johnny Bench and David Ortiz cold calling baseball mm-hmm. fans to say, okay, opening day is the same. Everybody's got the same opening day. It's March 29th, are you gonna be there on opening day? So there's a, you know, Johnny Bench is at a desk with a phone cold calling fans. And I, I thought to myself, I bet if I find out who the, who the PR person is for this, if I can find a press release, if I stalk whoever it is, they might give me a 10 minute interview with Johnny Bench and lo and behold, you know, I emailed them on a Friday and Monday they said yes. And, you know, on a Wednesday in late April, I'm talking to Johnny Bench about, you know, again, not the product, not about the campaign, about the funny commercial he did. And we talked a lot about grilling out. I guess he's really big into grilling steaks and he has his own spice rub, of course. Mm. Wouldn't give me a recipe. Mm. Uh and then we talked a lot about, you know, why catchers were so much better than shortstops and second baseman and, you know, uh how he hit the ball and just his career. It was because I've kind of modeled it off of that. Like I'm open to, again, someone who, who ran the Boston Marathon and won. Um, but, you know, there's, there's been a couple of times that some big names have popped in my lap and Tony, Tony Hawk is one of them. And the, the golf, the golf the PGA of golf players I've talked about are, are another, and I'm open to it all. So it's just a matter of, um, you know, following up people and, Just, uh, you know, having a conversation, really. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, my favorite part about this is everybody has a story. I mean, some people are better at articulating their story than others, but it's my job to ask you questions to understand that story, right? It's your job to ask everybody questions and understand their story and how they did it and why they did it and what they're doing and what they want to do. And, you know, that's just my favorite part is, you know, I just... I love talking, but I also just like listening to that part's pretty fun. And, you know, the follow-up question, that's always something that I try and make sure that I'm, I'm prepared with. I don't really have that many questions down on my piece of paper. It's just, you know, topics, world series, Astros versus Dodgers. Yeah. How many trash can bangs did you hear? I don't know. I'm not sure you were in LA, so you probably didn't hear any, but um, you know, it's just, it's just really cool getting to hear people and their stories and kind of how they've been to where they've been through. And, and you, know, you really enjoy that. I really enjoy that. And I'm really grateful that you came on and you were able to tell us a little bit about it. I mean, you also just said something, um, you know. As we said with ESPN, it was you know a couple times a quarter you would have a, a, a piece. And I, mm-hmm. if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I heard five to seven articles a month for Forbes. Yeah, that sounds like a full time job. Finally, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think of it as a lot. Uh, when you're a freelance writer and you got a couple different projects, you sort of know how to organize a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I got to say no sometimes when I get emails. So back when I was doing ESPN Extreme Sports, it was like literally the Red Bull people saying, we got the breakdancing competition in Kazakhstan. Do you want to, well, do you want to go? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm going to fly to Kazakhstan. And, you know, it's kind of outside the, you know, but I was grateful Mm -hmm. that they contacted me. Occasionally they had some really good stuff. Now it's, um, you know, I get a lot of sports tech people uh, contact me and, you know, occasionally I'll write articles. uh, Like I just interviewed the CEO of, Iron Man. And, and in this whole coronavirus thing, Iron Man is going virtual. So if you were someone who was planning to compete for the Iron Man, you can still do the same thing. You're just going to run by yourself and wear a device and clock your time and maybe qualify for whatever's going on mm-hmm. in New Zealand or Hawaii that way. So it's uh, that stuff I think is interesting. Uh, and of course, when you get an opportunity to inter- interview a bigger name, Athlete that always stands out, and you know you want to be definitely respectful of, of their time and, and talk about what they're known for. Um, when I got to interview Rob Gronkowski a couple of years ago, it was he it was doing basically like a, a show like Shark Tank.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: it was called MVP, so it was all sports related businesses, and it was through the Verizon channel. So with Gronk, you're thinking like, do you want we want to talk about the Patriots, or we want to talk about this like frat boy persona? And that dude is so easygoing. And he's you know, a lot more intelligent and business-like than he gets credit for. I mean, mm-hmm. he, supposedly, he saved his entire NFL salary for all of his career. And he gets to do some of the things that he really wants to do in life. And you know, like he also supports his, he's got a couple of brothers, their businesses, their little league stuff, their charity. Like this guy's, he's keeping pretty busy for a guy who that you think is probably just in the gym for three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you just, again, let them talk about just ask a question or two and you'd be surprised by, by what they spend their day doing. You know, I think high, high functioning people, whether it's, you know, somebody who's a, I don't know, a painter or someone who's a, a pole vaulter, you know, they're not really much different from the, you know, the Richard Branson's of the world and the Meg Whitman's and people who have built up businesses from nothing. It's, you know, maybe they're sports people before they are business people, but mm-hmm. Same trajectory, you know, very driven, very organized. I think it all starts with a vision. Uh, Greg Norman is probably a great example. I think Greg Norman loves being the head of a super successful business as much as he loved being the top golfer for Mm -hmm. 300 plus weeks uh, in his career. Like I think they're basically, they weigh equally for him. You can talk to him about that, but. That's awesome. Yeah, just again, ask people questions and they'll tell you, you know, a a treasure trove of interesting things.
0: Mm-hmm. and i think again you know what what you've been able to accomplish and I, I, again i think the coolest part is kind of where you came from lack of a better term you know from the from the business world the and streets yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like you know you didn't go to journal you know you, i don't i didn't see syracuse or northwestern anywhere on your uh on your linkedin nope. page which means you didn't come from a you know one of those two journalism schools you feel like everybody pretty much comes from so you know kudos to you there man and i just think it's such a you got such a cool story. I mean, you're covering sports and sports business for Forbes. Again, you know, if this was something someone told you 11 years ago, when you started that blog, you'd probably say that, I don't even understand what that means, but you know, here we are now, man. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I would say that anybody who wants to, I, I, you know, I wrote a little thing on LinkedIn when I was bored about two months ago. Uh, it was titled how I went from sports, how I went from cubicle cubicle dweller to sports writer. And I think it was just lingering in my head, like, well, I've got to do a lot of cool things, but you know, I'm not bragging about the fact that I didn't go to journalism school, but the point is that whatever you want to do, that is your passion. Whether, you know, you want to write a novel or start a surf shop or, you know, who knows what it is, you know, just because you have a nine to five job and responsibilities doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. I think uh, you got to find, find out what that is. I mean, I kind of luckily knew that I always liked writing, even when I didn't do it coherently or consistently, I always kind of kept coming back to it. Like, in the '90s, I had a, a like a, a zine, and then my roommate and I would go to we'd, we'd get to go to free shows, and we'd get CDs sent to us and review them. And we didn't really do it consistently. And then in you know '99, 2000, I put up a website and did the same thing, and got bored with that. So eventually, I kind of found uh, you know sports and writing just kind of they go together. I think uh, maybe it's just being a a sports fan and wanting to tell your version of the story because you know, you read the sports pages and and you don't really get that. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's a value to uh,
0: just kind of loving what it's about and sharing it. So I love it, man. And so I guess what, um, who, who else is on that list? Who's on that bucket list of people you want to get to interview?
1: Well, uh, so I, I, yeah, I've interviewed Venus Williams, not Serena, Okay, sorry. Uh, I, was talking to some, I was talking to somebody about uh, Serena, um, but it didn't, it didn't pan out this month. So she definitely won. Uh, I've always kind of wanted to say like, David Beckham is the one that I, I, I've tried a couple times and not gotten to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, yeah, I don't, there's, there's, I've, I've been kind of lucky. I mean, there's, I'm definitely open to anybody. I mean, there's legends like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird that I would love to interview, but I've gotten to interview, I mean, I grew up in Philly, I got to interview Dr. J two years mm-hmm. ago. Roll Monroe and Ralph Sampson. And, you know, that's a kind of a, that's in the same ballpark there. So I can't really complain um, at all about what I have not gotten to do. But, it, you know, it's just, it's a matter of keeping it going.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, there's times like now where sports is not going on. So what I'm doing right now is writing about what athletes are doing while they're stuck at home like us. And mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to get as many clicks in the articles. But, you know, it was kind of cool to hear. Uh, I talked to Megan Rapino's partner uh super couple weeks ago and they're you know they're doing sprints in the streets and working out with their weights in their little condo and watching tiger king
0: like everybody else yeah
1: i've not watched tiger king i've kind of resisted but eventually i'm I'm gonna succumb to it uh but i'm 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 guessing that if you could just you know if you uh get an interview with Shaq right now you know he'll probably tell you he's watching tiger king that's just a hunch you know Mm -hmm. so uh yeah i mean
0: it's awesome man bucket I, think, lists, again, I don't know i think it's awesome November. um i think we all have our list and maybe you're just being a little secretive with yours and i respect that I, i'm sure there's a couple people that you have written down somewhere that kind of your white whales and i'm sure you'll get there eventually again shouting out espn rolling stone and forbes never hurt like hey i work for forbes looking to interview some athletes i, I think that that part doesn't hurt but man this was absolutely fantastic uh, any any words of wisdom any nuggets you want to leave us with before we get going
1: yeah. If you want to write about sports, you know, blog or do you, you know, I don't, I don't know how to hook up a, a microphone, much less do a podcast like you're doing. So I think whatever you can do that you're passionate, that, that comes easy to you to do, and then just put it out there and, you know, you'll get, uh, you'll get great opportunities. And that's really what it's about. So it's kind of like fishing, like you never know what's going to pop up. And so that's keep what, at it. Keep that's your light in the water.
0: I'm hoping I keep interviewing people. I try and do two, three, four, five a day, especially during coronavirus. You know, as you said, you know, put it out there. I'm if I could be Joe Rogan, I mean, one one hundredth of Joe Rogan, I oh, would be great. the happiest, happiest person on planet Earth. Just get to sit down and talk to people for three hours a day. Um, that would be my dream scenario. And you know, I'm trying to do that now, and we'll see how it goes. So maybe with your help, I'll figure some of that out. But uh, I had Andy Fry on today. He's incredible writer of sport writer and sports contributor for Forbes, uh former contributor for Rolling Stone, market watch Chicago Tribune and ESPN.com. Andy, share your time today, man. Thanks, Michael. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Andy Fry. As I said, just really laid back, dude. Really, really cool. Very grateful. I got to have him on. He's just, uh, definitely something, uh, some, someone I want to turn into in some capacity, uh, getting to interview all these incredible musicians and, and sports people. I just think it's absolutely fantastic. So make sure to follow him on all of his show, socials. Everything will be in the show notes. Please also make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening. We would be very, very grateful for that. So thank you so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I appreciate that, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.